Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So today we're going to continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So a couple announcements. Next week, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Pretty self-explanatory. We're just going to go right on through. And um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 starts off with a really interesting topic, food offered to idols. And it's not a very long chapter. It's only 13 verses. And so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. So you know, I wonder if food that's offered to an idol tastes different than food that has not been offered to an idol. What do you think, Bob? I don't think you have God's blessing on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple announcements first. Next week, First Corinthians eight, and then June four. That's the first Sabbath here in June. We're having our next corporate gathering, and I believe we're going to have that here. At the farm, at Hidden Stables. So we're going to do outdoor church, potluck style, bring some food, and bring a friend. Invite, invite a neighbor, invite a friend, and do all that. Also, don't forget that uh, CEO does an amazing job with uploading our podcasts every week on Spotify, as well as on our website. So you can share that around to your friends as well. So that's good too. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, they won't get a chance to read the chapter ahead of time. Well, a couple people did. Interesting, interesting thing Paul talks about, huh? I want to draw your attention first to one verse that I think is kind of the key to the whole chapter, and then we'll get into kind of discussing some of the, the main points of it. Will someone read for us verse thirty-two? Verse thirty-two, of chapter seven. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. Let's just let's just pause right there. The first part, that was the main part. I want you to be without concerns. I think that's what Paul's getting at in this whole chapter, because he goes back and forth a lot between married, not married, called, not called, slave, free, circumcised, uncircumcised. There's just all this stuff back and forth. To give away your daughter in marriage, to keep your daughter to divorce, to not divorce. He seems to have a lot of these... Two-sided things. Yeah, not two-sided, but yeah, con contrasting. Okay. One with the other. Contrasting, con you know, topics and focus and purposes. And so, and I think his whole point is, I want you to just not be concerned. One other, one other verse I want to add to that before we get into it is, verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart. Think about that. He's firm in his heart. He's under no compulsion. Control over their own will. They have decided. So if you are that kind of person, do you have any concerns about what you're doing? No. You don't. Why? Because you have peace. That's right. You're fully persuaded in your own mind. Yeah. You're under no you of your free will choice of choosing to do something, and you're not concerned about anything. So I think that's the key that we need to think about with this whole chapter. So let's uh, let's just start the first section here. First, chapter seven, principles of marriage. And notice verse one. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about. Think about that. Someone wrote Paul a question. 
Now, in response to matters you wrote about, what do you think that question was? We could probably hypothesize on that, huh? What about marriage? Question mark. <laughs> there you go. Simple. Yeah? Because he kind of gets into some stuff, doesn't he? Let's just read down through that real quick. Now, in response to matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. Sounds like there might, might have been some swapping and some swinging and just a lot of very immoral community, which we've been sort of unpacking some of that as well. Especially in chapter 6, we talked about some of that. Well, historically, they always say you don't want to act like a Corinthian. There you go. Yes, exactly. That's right. So continue down, verse 4 and 5. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what do you think about that? And then verse 7, he kind of wraps that up saying, I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. Goes back to that contrasting there a little bit. Should you explain what he's saying? Go for it. <laughs> Paul, Paul never married. Is that correct? So he, he's a bachelor. He, he was a bachelor, but he, I guess he abstained. That was his whole premise. So he's saying, if you can be like me, that would be the preference. But if you can't, marry. Okay. I think it's also interesting in this chapter that Paul gets into a little bit of, of why he's saying, I wish you could be like me, but if you can't, then marry. Mm -hmm. He kind of gets into that more. And we'll, and we'll get into that as we kind of work ourselves down through, which I think that's really good. Uh let me draw your attention to verse 5 real quick. And this, we're going to dive deep here just a little bit in verse 5. And then we'll, and then we'll move on through it. But verse 5, do not deprive one another. What do you guys think of that, deprive one another? Now, specifically, what's Paul talking about? Marriage. Specifically, sexual relations between a husband and wife. Or a, a loving couple in relation together. Oh, not not to withhold yourself from your spouse. Okay. Great way. Okay. What else do you think about that? Well, I think you, you can also expand that into emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally. Don't deprive one another emotionally of encouragement or support or whatever the other person needs mm -hmm. you know okay I so memories by doing things together as a couple oh, yeah. sharing time with, with each other the King James kind of that whole verse defraud yeah. ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, mm -hmm. that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Okay. Now that's the whole verse. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more of like 
sexual relations between man and wife, mm-hmm. if you're coming onto a big decision or a moment of prayer or fasting, then of course you're going to not focus on each other so much, but with the consent of each other, you have to take time with God. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's talking about. Not, you know, it's it's. I don't think it's a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. It's definitely with the consent of one another. Like, look, I'm not sleeping with you for a week. i got, I got to pray about this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a fasting on something, like instead of not eating meat for a week or not drinking for a week or some other fast you might do or eating, even eating food. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole other like self-assurance thing that you're willing to put aside to really put that matter before God. Mm. good. Any other thoughts on that? Does anyone read that verse, do not deprive one another as Paul counseling or suggesting that you don't have a right to say no? No. 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 I think if anything, he's basically just saying don't be so self-oriented. Maybe. Okay. Think of the needs of your spouse and be willing to meet them. Okay. Awesome. I like all that. I like all that. I think I think it's trying to tell the woman and the man that if you're not responsible and if you deprive your spouse, then because we're we're sinners, we're immoral, and you know the flesh always most of the time wins out. Then you know, then there could be consequences where the husband might take a mistress or something, even though he knows it's wrong. But hey, you know, all the shoes I'm not getting at home, then or somewhere else. Gotcha. So it's the so if I'm hearing what you're saying, Angel, it's kind of like the like Paul's talking about the. You know the op. It's that you're under obligation almost. That concept. I I don't look at it as like a taskmaster, like you know, like you you have to function this way. It's it's like out of love, and and the bond that you create as a husband and wife mm-hmm. is very important. That contact and to defraud one another or, or deprave one another of that contact is not recommended for a nice tight relationship and this is a way it mentioned there at the end of it where satan tempts you not for your incontinency and so it's like it, it's basically you know it, it gives that you know it keeps that avenue that satan has to come into your heart if you don't act on that mistress or that whatever it is that would fill your needs and your spouse isn't willing to meet them so, so far, we've heard a lot from the men on this topic. How about the ladies? I, the, the verse is just popping in my mind, the one that says that, um, and I, it's somewhere in Matthew, I think, I don't remember, where in marriage, the, like the husband is supposed to love the wife, mm-hmm. and verse vice versa, mm-hmm. like Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And so if you have that type of relationship, I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus was, Jesus was, um, <clears throat> unconditional love, mm-hmm. um, constantly looking out for 
the other person, constantly guarding the relationship, guarding their reputation, mm -hmm. uh, willing to die for that person. So if your marriage is based on that, mm -hmm. then the, uh, these other issues really shouldn't become a problem. If your basic principle is like Jesus loved the church, that's what your relationship should look like. Self you know, it's in, in Christianity, there is, um, and, and, and I hope no one here has been able to relate to this, but I'm, but I'm guessing there is because I myself fell into this category, but you know, there's this belief and people, you know, Christ, many Christian marriage and sexual sex books, um, quote this verse to support the idea that you know, well, it's biblical. You have to give me what I want because if you don't, then dot dot dot. No, and I know you say no. Yeah, I, I don't see that in, in this at all. Exactly, and I'm really glad that you don't see that. Mm -hmm. But the point point I'm making is that in Christianity, that is a very common, very strong message. Yeah. I think I think what Paul is trying to tell the Christians is like it's just like like having a relationship with God. You love God and you want to do everything to, you know, to keep a strong relationship with Him. Yeah. It's just like marriage. Yeah. You know, uh, I love my wife and, you know, I try to, I'm going to try everything to make the marriage happy and, yeah, you know, so we can be. So, I don't know the word, word, yeah, you know, I, I own your body, you know, you got to, you know, give me whatever I want. That's just not the case. The love and relationship, then you know, it should be like a mutual sharing of, right? Without having to ask, you know. Any other thoughts on that? And then I want to share a pair, couple paragraphs from this really interesting book, specifically about this verse. I think in any relationship, um, or between a couple, mm -hmm. um, if you truly have that ingredient of love, mm -hmm. you're, you're giving your partner, mm -hmm. you know, putting them first. Mm -hmm. And if your partner equally does that to you, yes. then it's, it's a more, you know, it flows better. It, it just, mm -hmm. it's, it's more of a beautiful, natural type of relationship. And harmonious. Yeah, it's harmonious. It's and, good. uh, and basically I guess it's the intent behind it. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, if, you can say you love somebody, but then you're always looking out for number one. Whereas then if you really truly want the best for your spouse, then you're giving your 110% and they are also reciprocating that. And it's, you know, and it's not saying, it's not a have to. It's, a, it's an ingredient that just makes everybody happy. Right, right. Okay. So I want to read a couple. This is from the book, The Great Sex Rescue. And it's by Sheila Ray Gregory, and the subtitle is "The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended." And this is a marriage, you know, a marriage book, and I highly recommend even if you're not married, if you wanted to read this book, but specifically to married couples, if if you wanted to read a book that is number one very hard to read, this is very hard to read, um, not technically. This is a writing off of a, of a really comprehensive research study that they did um, in the Christian in the Christian world on marriage and sexuality. And uh, sexuality is not the term. 
sex between a husband and wife. And um, this, this, the chapter of this title is Duty Sex Isn't Sexy. And it's a deep dive into this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. And I wanted to just basically read a couple paragraphs from it that Sarah and I found really insightful and helpful and um, I think goes well. And so the first one is, is it the Christian thing to do to give your spouse sex twice a day if he or she wants it, no matter what you're going through? That's their first question. It's a Christian thing to do. If your spouse wants it even twice a day, no matter what you're going through, should you give it to him? Because well, clearly Paul says don't deprive one another. So that's, our, so that's the focus. To answer that, we need to ask two definitional questions of 1 Corinthians 7.5. What does it mean not to deprive? And what is it that we're being asked not to deprive our spouse of? Saying do not deprive is not the equivalent of saying do not refuse. When we say, do not deprive, we're saying, someone has a need that has to be filled. But this is not the same thing as saying, a person gets to have whatever they want. God made us with a need for food. If your child asks, can I have Cheetos? And you refuse because lunch is in an hour, you are not depriving her of food. The child's need is for a healthy, balanced diet, not to eat anything she wants, anytime she wants. Likewise, the sexual need that God created us with is not for intercourse whenever we want or however we want. It's for a healthy, mutual, fulfilling sex life, and sometimes that means saying no for a variety of reasons. God did not say, do not deprive, in order to allow selfishness to blossom. I think, you know, that came up in this conversation already. Can you imagine any other area of life in which God would tell a person, you have the right to use someone else for your own gratification, even if it causes physical or emotional pain. Or in which he would tell a woman, it pleases me when your husband acts selfishly toward you. What do you all think of that? Some heavy stuff there, isn't there? So it begs the question, is Paul saying, don't deprive one another, meaning give each other whatever they want whenever they want. In other words, is he promoting selfishness to the utmost degree? Yeah. Or is Paul really talking about something much bigger, understand a more healthier perspective of relationship? More like a balance. A nice balance. A healthy relationship is based on mutual coming there you go. to the middle. That's right. And it's not a 50-50 thing. It's a 100-100 thing. Right. And, but it's, it's one of those things where when you are looking at, you know, when you're, when you're looking at, you know, the, the sexual aspect, there's some people that have very unrealistic, yes. you know, needs, I guess. Right. Or wants is, I probably, I would say, better. And, you know, I think... Paul's talking about just a relationship based on the right moment for everything. Right. The right moment for breakfast, the right moment for everything. You know, and so it's like, it's it's based on mutual jiving together in, in a living space and not saying, I have power over you, do my wishes. That's right. I don't pick up any of that in, in Paul's writing. That's right. 
Now, he was a very conflicted man when, as you read all of those letters he wrote to all those different places. You know, he's a you know he's a man that had real desires, real wants in life, but always fought against it. Right. To walk his walk. Right. So, you know, when you read that, yeah, it's not that he doesn't have the desire and want to be involved. It's just that he fought against it. And you'll hear that in some of his other letters, but you know, it's very interesting. There's um, a couple of the paragraphs here I'll read from you, and then we can continue on with our discussion. And, and that goes to what you just said, Mark, about the mutual coming together and considering one another. The authors here go on to say, yes, there's a specific verse that speaks about the importance of meeting each other's sexual needs, referring to uh, chapter 7 here. But that doesn't mean that this is the most important need. The Bible may not speak specifically about her need for sleep, or about her need for emotional safety, or about her need to protect her physical health. But the Bible does give us principles that we should always follow. Do unto others as you have them do unto you, Matthew 7, 12. Focus on serving, not on being served, Matthew 20, 28. Look to others' interests, not your own, Philippians 2, 4. The Bible even asks men to take care of their wives as they take care of their own bodies, Ephesians 5, 28. I think, Mom, that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Which means that God wants women's physical condition to matter to their husbands as much as his own needs matter to him. The Bible may have mentioned one specific need, but it does not follow that this particular need must then supersede all others. How does that make you feel, both as men and women, and unmarried and married in this conversation? How do you experience that? Like, it's a more balanced approach overall. That's right. It's a holistic approach. Mm. That's right. It's a great book. I encourage anyone who's interested in some hard reading and some very interesting conversations that it will <laughs> it'll start with you and your spouse. It's some good stuff. So, any final thoughts on that? We'll continue on through this chapter. How about verse 17? Can someone read to us verse 17 through 24 out of our scripture notebook Bibles? Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not he should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. How far is this supposed to go? Uh, down to verse twenty. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. What stands out to you in that passage? I 
I kind of read some of that was the you know, people back in the day, new churches and even today, they were going, they sounded to me like they were going back and forth. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? You know, and, and Paul was saying, none of that crap matters. It's what God has commanded, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Keeping God's commands is what matters. That was mm. his command. All this other nitpicky stuff, I'll say it doesn't matter. Remember, you were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of people and people saying this or that or this or that. You know, remember who you are. Come as you are. Don't be, don't get wrapped up in all that nitpicky stuff. You know, you make an interesting point. What do you think of that verse 23? You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. There's two interesting concepts in there. One, the first one, you're bought at a price. Well, which price? And second, and, and what do you mean by purchasing? I didn't know it was for sale. Right? Oh, I'm expensive. It's true mm -hmm. that. But the second part is do not become slaves of people. You are what Jesus died for you. You were bought with a price. Mm. You know, that's how I read that. Yeah. You know, a life was paid Same. to redeem you. You know, so that's your focus and your love there. Don't get caught up in what other people think or say or do. Your focus is on Jesus. Yeah. Agreed. Any other thoughts on any of that? I also think that um, in making Adam and Eve from the beginning mm -hmm. and being created pretty much over and over again, that's another price that we were bought for. Interesting. Um, Verse 23 out of the remedy, which I know sometimes we, we like to quote that paraphrase. Um, and so I really like how it's worded here. Listen to this, talking about the, 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 what you were bought, the price and all of this. So it cost God infinitely to procure your freedom from the domination of selfishness and sin. So don't let your hearts become bound to any master other than Christ. But I like how he worded that. It cost God infinitely to procure your freedom from the domination of selfishness and sin. You know, like what I just said, he gave us free will even after the fact that he was betrayed twice. Yeah. So. Well, as he made Adam and Eve, the angels, he made all those angels, all that one-third of the angels that left mm -hmm. with Satan. I just had a, a thought pop in. I'm sorry, Mark, were you done? Well, no, I just, we're just we're, we're, we're real quick, is that, you know, he had to endure all this pain from a sinless position. Mm-hmm. And that, that's price. All the trauma. And to be forever human. Jesus is forever human. No, what a sacrifice. What does that say about God? Because remember, John 5, 39 says you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. No, the, the Bible speaks of me. Mm -hmm. The scriptures testify of me, which means the, the Bible describes the kind of unconditional love. So what does that say about God? That God would freely choose to 
change his own nature so much for the 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 not the guarantee <clears throat> that any of us would trust him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because there's no that guarantee love. that anyone would trust yeah. him. So what does that say about God? And that infinite price. Like, dude, you realize that you're you're gonna change yourself so much from being an infinite being to being a finite being and limit yourself. And you still aren't guaranteed that people will trust you. Yeah. You're not even guaranteed if you're going to make it through and actually be successful. Exactly. So what does that say about God? Either God's really crazy or that that is a description of a kind of love that is hard to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the latter. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. A love that's hard to comprehend. Yeah. So, verse thirty-two gets into what Lola started out this beginning, the beginning of our conversation, when Paul was talking about, "I wish you guys could be like me." And so let's just unpack that a little bit here before we close out our conversation. Um, can somebody read for us verse 32 down through probably verse 35? Yeah, 32 to 35. Seth, you want to do that for us? Uh, you got your NASB? Okay. How about you, Maury? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. You said 32 through 35? Yes, please. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried man, I mean, the unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be both be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Thank you, Perry. So, you get that where he says, I want you to be without concerns. And we're connecting that piece then. He also says, I want you to be completely persuaded under no compulsion, free in your own will, fully decided in your own heart. And how he, how he talks that out there. Because what's he saying? I don't want you to be divided if you're single and you're happy with that and you know it and you're fully persuaded you can devote your entire life to fulfilling the Lord's call purpose right and if you're fully persuaded and you're married then you can devote yourself to your spouse and living out God's purposes in your spouse in your marriage right but he's trying to, he, to me, this is what I get out of it. Right? What do you guys think of that? I agree. Any questions? Any alternative views? 
impulse is not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what's proper, so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Well, he's writing this to the church to avoid the people that are living under false pretenses in church. And, you know, and a lot of times, you know, you'll have people that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more of like an encouragement of proper behavior amongst a couple, amongst a, a spouse. And, and it's just, it, it's to keep the, everything up and up in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Think about the tension, like, you know, those of us that are married and such, remember back when you were single, back when you were going in and, and going to work and you date that girl at work, and then that didn't work out, and now work is a terrible place to be. It's an awful spot to be, there's a lot of stress, a lot of unnecessary stuff, and, and you know, and so it's like, in the, in the OR, they always tell you, don't, you know, don't go to the bathroom where you sleep. And it's just that aspect of don't don't do that because it'll create tension in an already a high stress environment. And they actually tell you that when you work in that kind of place. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessary. And so in a church situation, it's also unnecessary. And this is a letter to a church. Exactly. Contextually. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, verse forty, to wrap up our conversation here. Paul says straight up, in my opinion. Did you guys catch that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that he says that. This is all my opinion. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. This is my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah, Sarah. So, you know, my whole perspective is that the first people created were created as a couple by God. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, like, and then later on, right, Paul comes in with this idea that, like, well, to be the most to be the most whatever, right? To be the most useful, to be most devoted to God, that you shouldn't, you know, you should abstain from marriage if at all possible. I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't really make sense because at that point, then if that's really the truth, then why wouldn't God have created that at first? He's, he's, he's capable of creating anything. He doesn't need a man and a woman to procreate to, to like, he could have made a, a single person capable of procreating and, and, you know, at that point. So why did he, at that point, at creation, and he did it with the animals too, right? Why? Why did he do that? If now Paul is going back and saying basically like, well, if you have to get married, great. If you don't, that's better. Because that's what it says. Um, I can't remember what verse it was, but it says, you know, it's it's good if you're married, but it's better if you're not. Well, it, it, it's, it's good. It, it, I know, that's awesome. And here, here's what I've been told is kind of the aspect of this, is that in what I, my life experience has said, too, is that there's so many holes in everyone's life. And you need to fill it with something. Okay? If you don't have a... Some people are more bent for worship and things towards God than others. I wake up in the morning. It's not the first thing I think of. It should be, but it's not. You know, I'm usually reeling over something that I have to do in work and something like that. Well, I'm not like my dad. My dad wakes up first thing in the morning. 
he could have been a single man. He could have been married to God, and he could have been that guy knocking on doors all day long and loving it if my, my mom would let him. But it's that kind of thing where some people are bent that way, like Paul was. I'm not. I'm that person that he's talking about, like, if you cannot do this, then get married and, you know, and, and raise children like God intended. Because we're both not the same. I mean, Lola and I, we're, we come together on the big things, but in a lot of the things we deal with, we are not the same on, on almost everything. But together, we make, if we communicate, we make a really good combined, you know, being. Yeah. And I think that's what God intended. But it's like, you know, and I think that's where these letters are coming from. Is that if you can marry, be, be married to God and be a, a, you know, go out and spread the news and, and be that person, awesome. But those are rare. I think that, you know, my, I'm going to offer my opinion on great questions, Sarah, by the way, is that, you know, one person by themselves has the potential to be ultimately inherently selfish. Mm-hmm. But two people together in a relationship, you have to give of each other. Okay, so when God created Adam and Eve, he said, let us create man and woman in our image. Let us create them male and female. So he, God, gave both, both sexes aspects of his character and his image that are fulfilled in a marriage relationship. They're brought out. Okay, those unique aspects of a marriage relationship. So what I hear... You, you know, what I hear Paul saying is that if you're a single man and you devote your whole life to God, then you are able to live your life not as inherently selfish single person, but you can live as a single person loving others and being others focused to the point that you're willing to give every aspect of your life for the benefit of others as Paul did and as, as many others did. But if you struggle with that, then being in a marriage relationship where you have to then give of yourself for the benefit of somebody else, then that's a great place. This is, my, again, my opinion on this. Me, I know I couldn't do well without being married. And I don't just say that. I would be I would be one selfish-minded person because I struggle with that so intently while I'm in marriage. Mm-hmm. So outside of marriage, I would have that... What's the word I'm looking for? That that help in that area. Yeah. yeah. Self-control. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I think, like, whatever was happening at that point, um, you know, like, goes back to the first part of the the chapter. Um, you know, clearly, like, there was, there were people that were choosing to get married and still acting very selfishly, right? Mm-hmm. They were taking it as, you know, we're married, so now you do as I say, that kind of thing. And then further on, he's like, but, you know... Um, you know, if you can not be married, you know, kind of still have the same idea, right? Not be totally selfish and yeah. then fine. Like, clearly there was some, like, really serious right. mm-hmm. you know, stuff going on at that that church at that point. I was understanding, too, that, that like, he was saying, because I agree with what, you know, God created us to be pairs. That's how we were created. Right. Oh, that's how the first couple <clears throat> But then he's also saying, like, if, you, if you're single... Um, but are not choosing to, to live a single life and stay celibate, then you better get married because you're not living, you're not walking in God's way. Right. 
you know, so I was kind of hearing that too. You can't have their cake and eat it too. Exactly. If you, you can't be like me and live my, like he, Paul was saying, he was a single man. He was staying, honoring his body to God. Um, if you can't do that, then you need to go ahead and be married because mm -hmm. that's how you were created to be. If you're going to sin the other way, then you need to be married. Lola. I was just going to say, you know, you know, we were created as, you know, couples in the beginning, but you know, sin came in. So a lot of yeah. things filtered yeah, down and changed, different so. and, you know, yes, you know, marriage would be the ideal situation. I think for most people where, you know, you have that balance, but there are people, you know, that prefer to be alone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just in my family, now granted, like my uncle was 40 before he ever married. He just, you know, now he is married. So, I mean, maybe that's not a good example. But my brother, also, mm -hmm. he waited a long time to get married. And then that didn't work out, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's people who just do that. And they're, they're fine. Or, you know, they prefer it or, or whatever. But, I mean, I, I know what Paul's trying to say is if you can't, serve God in your capacity if you take the sex out. It's more about, you know, if you can't have that direct relationship with me because this is getting in the way, then get married. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Great conversation, y'all. Any volunteer to close your prayer? Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, God, for this conversation. Thank you for your design for life and ultimately, you know, to filter through everything that has been said is ultimately, Lord Jesus, you're just saying that we are to do unto others as you'd have them do unto us, love one another as you love yourself, and take care of each other. And Paul is simply saying that if you, if you can't live your life in loving service to someone else, well, it just shows that we need some heart change. And I just thank you, God, that, that Paul was able to write this letter and that even here we are reading it several thousand years later and the principles still ring true. And I ask that you help us to incorporate this into our lives this week, that as we relate with our friends and our family and our spouses, that all that we do, we may not be concerned about, but be fully settled in our own minds and our hearts and persuaded and that our words and actions and attitudes may speak well of you. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.